Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, it's Haley, and this is episode 135 of Kindled. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing a conversation with you that I had with Danielle D'Souza Gill. Danielle is a young author and commentator who lives in New York City, a graduate of Dartmouth College and the author of Why God, an intelligent discussion on the relevance of faith. She's filmed videos for PragerU, has been a Turning Point USA ambassador, and been on various TV and radio networks, including Fox News. You may recognize Danielle's last name because she's the daughter of Dinesh D'Souza, who has had a prominent career as a writer, scholar, and a public intellectual, and now an award-winning filmmaker. I am releasing this episode early. Uh, Normally, my podcast airs on Mondays, but I am releasing this episode on Thursday evening. Uh, I just had this conversation with Danielle this afternoon. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want as many people as possible to get the chance to hear Danielle's apologetic and reasoning behind why abortion is the most critical moral issue and prominent issue of this election. So if you are coming here um, as a skeptic, I first want to say thank you for taking the chance to listen to something that you know you may not agree with. I want to challenge you to listen all the way through, even if you take offense at some of the things that we say, even if it's hard and uncomfortable, I would just really challenge you to make it all the way to the end before deciding how you actually feel about what Danielle says. Um, I realize that this discussion, this debate is contentious. It is heated on both sides, but it is worth having. It is worth, this discussion is so critical because there are lives on the line. So I just want to encourage everyone listening, whether you find yourself on the pro-life or the pro-choice side, or even the side of being personally pro-life, but not believing that that should impact the nation's policies. I just want to encourage you to lean into this discussion, listen to what Danielle has to say, and save your final determination for after the episode ends. Before we get started, I want to let you know that the sponsor of this episode is Prep Dish. Say goodbye to the dreaded what's for dinner. Get a two-week free trial of Prep Dish and start eating better today. Prep Dish is a meal planning service that gives you prep ahead instructions, shopping lists, everything you need to get dinner on the table and prepped on one day of the week so that all you have to do is go to your fridge, open it up, get everything ready the day of, but it's all going to be pre-chopped and pre-cooked so that it's going to take less than 30 minutes to put together on the day of, which that's the critical thing, right? You just need to have something to go to, something that's available. You don't have to be thawing meat and dealing with all that nonsense. You can't can't be doing that in the middle of the week. The founder, Allison, is giving Kindled listeners a free trial for two weeks at PrepDish.com slash Kindled to try it out and stop having to worry about mealtime. It'll help you save money, save time, and eat healthier. Go grab your free trial at PrepDish.com slash Kindled. Okay, here's my conversation with Danielle D'Souza Gill. All right, so today on Kindled, I'm chatting with Danielle D'Souza Gill. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on the show. This was fun. So I am a huge fan, as I was just telling you, of your dad's work and have been watching his documentaries for a few years and kind of following what he does. Um, And then I recently discovered you through uh, the fact that you have just written a book called The Choice. Uh, If you want to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and about that work, that would be awesome just to get us started. Yeah, so um, I wrote this book. It's called The Choice, uh, The Abortion Divide in America. I can actually show it to you here. And I wrote it because I moved to New York um, in the last couple years, and I saw Governor Cuomo light up the Freedom Tower pink to celebrate 
nine month abortions for no medical reason. They changed their law on that. And he said this is something that he hopes the rest of the nation follows. So I think it was seeing that it was hearing, you know, Governor Ralph Northam in Virginia talk about how even after a baby is born, it would be kept comfortable, then a discussion would ensue as to its fate after that, kind of just seeing um, the radicalization of the other side on the abortion issue, and seeing the fact that even when recently President Trump had to sign this Born Alive Protection Act, we still have to even quibble with people on kind of what born alive is and how that's going to work if a child is outside the womb. We even have to fight for those children's rights. Um, so I think just kind of the radicalization of this issue made me want to write this and also make it so that it was written in a really accessible way where every chapter is a different pro-choice myth. And then in the chapter, I kind of like go into that side's argument and then debunk that myth and say the other side, because I think oftentimes we are kind of just faced with the other side's kind of arguments and views. And sometimes we don't know what to say to every single one of those. And I wanted to just make it so that people would be very equipped for that and also be like, oh, okay, maybe this is my question. So I can flip to that chapter, kind of find my answer to this or that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's why I wrote the book that way. Yeah, it's it's a really powerful book in the hands of anyone, whether they are kind of new to the whole discussion and aren't sure what the real arguments are on either side, or if they are, I think, a seasoned, you know, um, individual on uh, even as a pro-lifer, like, uh, okay, what do I say? What is the real what is the real apologetic against an idea like abortion is healthcare? Um, and you really unpack and explain those very well. So um, thank you for writing it. I think it's going to be so powerful for not just those of us who are familiar with this debate, but even especially young people, which I know um, you're younger than me and, and you are just so passionate about this topic. Why did you like, why, you know, why now, why did you decide to kind of get involved in this discussion? Yeah, so I think I I knew, of course, about pro-life. I had kind of been involved in ministry stuff in college, but I guess I just didn't realize how hard the left was fighting on this issue. I didn't realize how, you know, wow, Planned Parenthood literally has a political arm. They mobilize students all across the campus. They mobilize people to sign their petitions, to show up and protest the Supreme Court. They have people who are constantly calling people to come to Planned Parenthood to get abortions. They always have kind of that whole system down. And I think just seeing that, I think made me realize that as a young person, we need to mobilize young people on our side to get our message out, of course, in a positive way. Um, and I think just kind of spreading the fact that, you know, we actually do know how to respond to everything that they say. I think sometimes with pro-life kind of pamphlets and rhetoric I had seen, it would oftentimes be like the silhouette of the pregnant woman with the child in the womb and kind of written as if you maybe assume that there's dignity to life and that sort of thing, which I don't know if necessarily is always everyone's assumption. So in the book, I kind of assume that you don't hold a lot of my original views or anything like that. And I kind of take it from the position that you are either already pro-choice and believe in this myth, or you don't know yet and you're kind of just exploring. And um, I think that was really my goal, just to kind of bring people over who maybe have not already been a pro-lifer yet. Yeah. I think that's so wise because like you just said, um, we do, we, we can just be so like appalled at the reality of abortion that we assume that everyone who is pro-choice, pro-abortion um, totally gets the, gets that that's a life inside the womb and that they're murdering an unborn child and that this is a baby. And, and that is an assumption that a lot of us kind of come to the table with, but like you said, because we're dealing with such a progressive um, relativistic, postmodern worldview and understanding of humanity uh, and and who people are, and there's no basis in like the Bible or you know the God-given dignity and and value and worth. It, it it's it's a lot easier for a lot of people to be pro-choice, be pro-abortion because they don't see any of those things. They don't. I mean, the Bible for them is an uh, outdated, you know, um, outdated book. This has no relevance on today, and so th there isn't. Um, you know, there isn't really anything anchoring them to uh, the realities that that we know are actually part of this whole discussion. And so I think that's super helpful that you took that approach. 
Yeah, I definitely don't assume anyone reading this is Christian or religious of any kind or conservative yeah. or any of those things or even has heard these things. And I think that's why um, when I had started going to some pro-life events, they were super awesome. But I think a lot of people there were pro-life and had heard a lot of kind of the, the different things. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, talking to some people who were advocates of children with Down syndrome. It was really powerful and amazing. But I think if I wasn't already pro-life, I would have been like, wait, what does this have to do with this? Who mm -hmm. are you? Why is this happening and all of this? So I kind of wanted to make it so that people understand that, you know, this um, abortion movement doesn't really come out of uh, women's rights. It doesn't come out of feminism. It doesn't come out of any of those things. It comes out of this eugenics ideology that they have of wanting to kind of target certain people, target whether it's a person with Down syndrome, a minority person, someone who lives in a certain neighborhood, and um, kind of bring about this perfect society that Margaret Singer wanted to do. So I think kind of just diving into all of the details of that, I think it would help someone understand more, like, yeah. okay, this is what pro-lifers are saying, this is kind of what these people are saying, and make more sense of it, because it is such an intense topic, and there are so many layers to it, whether it's the medical side or social side, the legal side, all of that. So I try to go into all of those in the different, in the different arguments. So you say in the book that abortion is a great unexamined issue of our time. What do you mean by that? Can you kind of explain and unpack that? Yeah, I think it's um, definitely very un unexamined because oftentimes it's talked about mostly in platitudes and kind of in terms of these, um, talking points and not actually, we're not actually having a debate or a discussion with people on the other side. And I think that's often because many people who are the hardcore advocates for the other side don't want to engage. So we've kind of seen that in these sidewalk situations. They're more just like, oh, we're just gonna call the police on you just because you're standing here and stuff. Like they don't wanna to talk to you. Um, I think it also comes down to the fact that many women who go in to get abortions, they are not shown their ultrasound. Um, many people on the left oppose laws saying women have to see this and Planned Parenthood is against that. So I think there's really kind of this mass deception going on. And that's really how these abortion clinics operate. Because the statistics show us that every time a woman sees her ultrasound, she is much less likely to get the abortion. She's more likely to walk out of the clinic, say she doesn't want to do this. And they also oppose any kind of waiting period. So they don't want you to come in one day and say, hey, 24 hours, you come in the next day. They want it to be like you walk into the clinic, you go straight to the surgical operating table. That's the most popular method of abortion. So that's what they want to do. Have it happen right now. Don't see the ultrasound, none of that stuff, because they want to just get you through the abortion. They want to collect your money and so on. And so I think that um, I say that it's unexamined because if many people did know the facts, if they knew the science behind it and they knew the truth behind it, they actually would become pro-life because that's what the statistics show us. Mm -hmm. But I think we're in a little bit of an information war where because people don't actually get to hear that and then in this case make their decision, they don't actually have the facts to decide. <clears throat> yeah, man, that's so powerful. I think that's, and that's encouraging though too, because like, the one thing we have on our side is the fact that information is easy to disseminate now. Like we have social media, we have the internet, we have all of these young voices like you who are able to reach young people who are on their phones all day, every day. Um, and it just feels like, man, if we could just kind of like get to that critical mass, then we could really start to change people's minds. And there would be more of like a science-based approach, imagine that, to this entire discussion instead of just rhetoric and, um, and you know, ideas that are really not rooted in reality or in science, which I know the left is a big fan of. They love science. Like they say they love science, but then, you know, when you look at this abortion discussion, it it's like, do you really? Because the, the science shows that all, all signs point to this is a human life, and yet we are just hell-bent on, um, on exterminating as many of them as possible. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think it's encouraging, though, to know that with that information, what we see is that people do change their minds. And so it feels like, man, if we can just, if we can just push ahead to a, to a point where more people than not are hearing the truth and seeing the reality of what is really happening when an abortion occurs. Totally. Yeah. And I think that too is why it's so frustrating when they have so much social media censorship or all of yes. that with the tech industry, all of that is so frustrating. But sometimes I'm like, okay, that's why it's good. This book is a physical book. You cannot 
take have it taken from you once you have it give it yeah. to people so I've been talking to people about putting it in like libraries and things like that and I feel like we have to do everything we have to do kind of the online yeah. and the other things because you just can't be like totally subjected to their them you know removing your post or, or whatever it is right. but I think regardless we're going to get our message out there so um so yeah yeah it's awesome um so how can uh the ideology uh of the left be so blind to the reality of what abortion is uh what what's your take on how how they're able to to actually kind of justify and deal with that i mean because uh, i'm a christian like i believe this is uh this is a god-given life and so i believe it's murder when when that actually occurs i realize not everyone who is on either side of this debate is a believer and so that's a you know that's just part of this this conversation but but what's from your perspective how are they able to uh to kind of explain it away yeah, I think for a long time, they kind of said that a fetus is a cluster of cells, you know, it's an appendix, it's a body part, all of this. And of course, scientifically, that's just not correct. This child is not a body part. It physically is not. And it has its own body parts. It has its own 10 toes, its own feet, its own elbows, all of this happening in the first trimester. It has its own heartbeat a few weeks in. So we're not talking about something that's, you know, kind of just like they say, an appendix and so on. I think when they say it's a cluster of cells, I mean, technically we are all a cluster of cells. Cells is what make up all of us. So that doesn't actually mean anything. Scientifically, it basically is correct, but of course they're using it to kind of make the child seem like nothing. Um, but I think that's why they've sort of shifted to this argument that it's a human, but it's not a person because yeah. I think they know that they can't actually say it's not a human. It's like it's DNA is literally decided from the moment of conception and it is a human. It already has its hair color, eye color, the sex is already decided. Mm -hmm. And so I think when they go into this special status of personhood and saying that, you know, even if you're human, it doesn't mean you're a person. We are all kind of this special status. I think mm -hmm. what they're basically trying to do is say that, you know, being a human and a person is not the same when in reality it is the same. Every human being is a person and we all kind of have that. And anytime you try to kind of differentiate those two, it's basically to justify killing or torturing that human um, by saying that, you know, this person's not a person, but you're a person and so on. And of course, that's um, kind of the road that they're going down, which should make all of us go, whoa, my antenna's up. This is bad. But I think that because they use this kind of double speak language where it's like, oh, they're saying this, but they actually mean that. It can sometimes be uh, very confusing for someone watching this debate. And then they go, okay, I'm just going to tune out. But in reality, we have to kind of actually plug in more and say, okay, does that actually make sense? And of course it doesn't make sense because as soon as we start taking away, um, you know, the personhood of certain humans, it's like, where's that going to go next? I mean, right. we're already at this point where it's basically, um, targeting anyone even at the, at the ninth month. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it is, uh, when, when you don't like what I, what I feel like they're doing is when they, when they don't like the definition, they just add more words that mean other things. They just create terms. They just create, they create division where there is none. Human and person is the same thing. Fetus and human and baby and infant and adult. It's all the same thing. All it needs is time. So when they don't like the, the implications of that reality, they add language and then create definition to make it look like there's division here, but no, well, this is just a fetus. This is just a clump of cells. This is just not, you know, this isn't actually a human person or this isn't whatever, you know, I mean, it's, you can't even keep up with the, the amount of words they're inventing day by day. Um, and, and so I, I think there's a certain element that, yes, we know, like, because of what scripture tells us, you know, Romans one twenty eight. Uh, th since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. I mean, all of these things describe people who love abortion. They love murder. They love evil and, and wickedness because they saw fit to not acknowledge God. They saw fit to, uh, you know, um, 
to to go against the moral law and even the law that was written on their conscience and god gave them up to it and we see what that looks like and it's just very ugly and it's um and it's tragic because lives are being lost at uh as a result of it every single day um you say that this is the crucial moral issue of our time why do you say that uh, because I know that a lot of Christians, and I know a lot of Christians personally would say I disagree with abortion, but I but they don't believe that it's it's the only issue out there. They see it as one of many issues that we need to deal with. Why do you say it's the crucial moral issue? Yeah, I have a chapter on that, which kind of goes into someone who says, oh my gosh, but there's so much bad in this world. There's so many bad things happening. So why care about this bad thing? You know, in this case, the child can kind of take a number, like yeah. too bad. There's, there's suffering and other people suffer. And so I'm going to care about these other people, not you. And I think that my response to that is that whenever someone says something like that, they're basically just kind of saying that you don't matter, child. And I think that this is an issue that we actually have power in. There are a lot of things that go on in this world, but I don't have the power to necessarily stop that, you know? But with this, I think we all have the power to actually do something because this is an issue going on in our country. And every single one of us has the power to look into this issue, to vote on this issue, to talk to a friend about it, you know, talk to a family member, get involved into an organization, all these things. And I think that even if we just look purely at the numbers, if we're just going to be utilitarian and so on, if we look at the numbers, there are more abortion, more deaths caused by abortion than cancer, terrorism, war, all of these other things. And so um, if we if we just look at it purely based on that, abortion is a huge issue. And even in America today, um, in some cities, there are more black children aborted than born. So I think a lot of people will sometimes mention that, that, you know, um, they want to care about black lives. And it's like, well, if we want to care about these people, then why are we having them, you know, killed in, in the womb and so on. And yeah. so I think that regardless of whatever way you look at it, whether you're comparing this to kind of international issues, whether you're comparing it to other kind of domestic issues, I think it really seeps into so much of everything that we're talking about. Even if we're talking about childhood education, childhood um, sex trafficking, all these things. Um, I remember the Netflix's cuties and just how disturbing mm -hmm. that was. And yeah. even seeing that, it's like, if we do not value children in the womb, then why would our society value children outside the womb? Right. Um, as soon as you kind of start to justify doing things to these people who are helpless, then that seeps into other areas as well. So I think it really is kind of the root cause of a lot of um, moral issues in the country because we are talking about kind of this is the beginning, this is the foundation of this person's life. And um, so I think that it's also an issue that we can win on. There are some issues that, you know, maybe, um, as I said, we can't make a change necessarily right now, but this is an issue that actually we are getting momentum on and we are getting, I think, closer to more of a pro-life generation. And um, so I hope that, yeah. I hope that that helps. Yeah. I mean, it does. I think you made a really, really powerful point there that we have, this is an issue we have the power to change. Um, and I, I think what's both good and, and also hard at the same time about that reality is that like, we see so many, um, so many Christians, uh, we see so many Christians that are not going to be voting pro-life in this election. We, I've, I've heard it from friends, from, you know, family who are like personally pro-life, but would say, well, there's other issues that are important to me as well. And, and yeah, like you said, are, are in effect saying to that baby, take a number, you know, you're not the only one here. Um, and what, what I think is really sad about that is the reality that like, if you have the power to change something and you don't, that shows what your true heart is towards the vulnerable, the hurting, injustice, you know, injustice that's taking place in this world. We know there's a lot of injustice everywhere. We know that. Sin is real. The world has fallen. There's injustice everywhere you turn. Um, and yet when you have, when you're handed the ability and the power to enact real, actionable, real, um, you know, uh, you know, effectual change and you don't, I think that says more about your true heart towards the vulnerable, your true heart towards injustice, because 
um, here you are handed like a red pen to, you know, to, to take this action that actually is going to affect human beings lives. Whereas, you know, you can't stop all murders across the world. You can't, you know, single-handedly lower the crime rate. You can't single-handedly stop wars in the middle East. You can't do a lot of things, but you can do this. And so I think that's just, um, a reality that a lot of believers need to stare in the face and go like, how much do I really care about injustice if I won't even fight the one that I have the power to, to change? Exactly. Yeah. I have a chapter that goes into the, I'm personally pro-life, but I can't impose my views on another person because I kind of hear this one most often from maybe a, a sort of religious person. Um, this was a popular argument used by some Democrats in kind of the eighties and nineties, but they don't really use it anymore because they've moved to the celebrating abortion stage. But there are some people who are, who are still religious today who say that. And I think that when we really look at that, I would say to them, well, why are you personally pro-life? I mean, why would you be? And if they say something like, well, I think it's a life or I think it's taking a life, I would say, well, then how can you just be personally pro-life if you think that this is killing someone? Um, We can't really say that there's a subjectivity to it because even if you decide for yourself that you think that that's what it is, if what it is is true, then we cannot vote for a party that is saying that we can have killing on demand of innocent humans. Um, And I think that if you really kind of talk to that person in more depth and go into it in more detail, they would actually come to the point of saying, oh, okay, I guess I don't actually think it's that bad. Or I guess I don't actually find it to be killing or I'm not really against it. Because if you really were against it, um, there is no issue that compares. Um, Mm -hmm. There is just no other legalized killing on demand mass killing, almost 1 million of these children are killed every year in America in abortion mills. And so, I mean, it just depends, I guess, if you think killing is is the worst. I think when we look at kind of the bad things, we probably all agree all around the world ever since the Ten Commandments, but even outside of that, just with our conscience that, okay, mm-hmm. killing an innocent person, um, you know, in this case, a baby, that would probably be the worst, you know, maybe then afterwards, the other bad things are, uh, you know, stealing, adultery, like all these other things. And, and those are bad, but you know, killing is something we kind of need to agree on. That's a bad thing when it's an innocent human. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess I would just say to those people that I think that they don't have the conviction there in the first place on that issue. And maybe they actually do care about something else more. Um, in which case I would say that I hope that they revisit this issue and dive into what it actually is. This person is not an idea. It's not a thought. It's not a theory. This is a physical human being that is being dismembered, that is going through pain when they're going through this process. They do not receive any kind of anesthesia. It's very hard for us to understand what it would be like to be aborted because many of us have not been tortured like that, but it is, um, quite horrific. And we actually know this. We know that they release cortisol in their brain, which is the same thing that we release when we're under duress. We know they try to get away from the suction in the womb. We know that even in the late term, in the third trimester, when um, they're poisoned in their heart and brain, when they burn over time, they are not given any kind of anesthesia. So Mm -hmm. I would just say to someone who says that, um, you know, they're personally pro-life, but they don't want to impose it on someone else, that no matter what, you're imposing your view on someone else. And in this case, it's going to be the fate of this child. So there is no abstaining from the issue or not getting involved. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. I want, I want people to hear that. Um, no matter how you vote, you're imposing your view on someone else. That's exactly what a vote is. It's just a matter of who has your vote or your view or your, uh, your party's platform agenda imposed on them. And in this case, I guess what they're saying is I care more about a woman's right to choose what to do with her unborn child because we know it's not her body that she's affecting. I care more about her um, her, her unlimited right to murder um, that baby inside of her than I do about the one who would suffer the consequence of that. And yeah. that's a that's a pretty heavy reality for for an individual, especially an adult, especially a Christian to actually come to terms with and have to look in, in the look in the face and say, yeah, I affirm that. I don't know anyone. I know, I know quite a few people who will be not voting pro-life because of other issues that are important to them, but I don't know any one of them that would be able to sit with that reality if I were to pose it that way to them. 
You know what I mean? Like yeah, they would right, not, right. they would be like, well, no, I mean, no, I don't see it that way. And and they couldn't explain why, but they would argue mm-hmm. because that's, that's pretty ugly. Like that's, that's yeah. just a very, very really hard no way around it because yeah. there are physical body parts we're talking about. So yeah. there's no way to just be like, oh, but maybe this hurt this person's feelings or maybe it made them sad. And it's like, okay, yes, they're, they're sad, but they're also in pain. And I think that when we even look at, um, just kind of this whole idea that, I don't know, I think a lot of Christians want to feel good about themselves and they want to feel like everybody likes them. And there's also this kind of peer pressure element and all of the, where the culture is going and all this stuff. And so a lot of people I think who are Christian think that, okay, well, if I'm quote, kind of doing what other people think is nice, that means that I'm doing the right thing. And it's like, you know, Jesus was hated by a lot of people. And, um, I think that when we kind of contort, um, the the word to what is happening in the world instead of trying to change the world and try to change people's minds to meet what Jesus wants. It's like, we're not actually, you know, being ambassadors for him. We're basically saying, no, we actually just want to be liked by everyone. We want to be cool. We want to be all these things. Mm-hmm. And I understand that if you're a pro-lifer, you're not going to be the one who's, you know, given any kudos or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you might be if you're a Christian talking about other issues. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that that's probably one of the biggest problems we have is that it's like, it's not really about the unborn for a lot of these people. It's not really about the injustice, even for these other issues that they claim they care so much about. It's about actually the virtue signaling and just kind of wanting to come across a certain way. And it's like, you can't take that to heaven with you. God doesn't care how, you know, you're trying to present yourself and look or whatever. He cares about your heart and what you actually live out based on that. So um, I would just say to, you know, kind of examine that. And even when it comes to choice, I would say I'm totally in favor of choice in the sense that this um, woman can decide if she wants to raise it or give it up for adoption. No one is saying that we have to force this you know, child to be raised by people who don't want to raise it. We have about 35 families waiting for every child available for adoption. So we can absolutely have these children be loved by people who are waiting for them. Many of them have to go through an expensive process to adopt, look abroad and all of this um, because of this. And so I would say that we have to have the basis of life. And then after that, there are many choices and things we can do to kind of improve people's lives. But if we don't have life and we have killing on demand, how can we even talk about these other social issues that they are wanting to talk about? Right. Because you can't have a social issue without a citizen of the society to, to make those determinations for, well, what's, what's our policy on immigration? What's our policy on healthcare? Like, how can you talk about healthcare when you won't even um, give the, the, the person who would receive that healthcare, the opportunity to live? I mean, there's really no conversation to be had. And I love what you said about virtue too, or virtue signaling. And, and like you said, Christians can't take that virtue signaling that they're trying to say to the culture, look, I'm with it. I get it. I'm cool. I understand that my personal convictions shouldn't have any implications on you. I'm not going to have a, we, we don't have a theocracy. This isn't ancient Israel here. So this is a democratic Republic and everybody has their, their access to, you know, free reign of their, of their opinions and beliefs and whatever they want to do goes, I'm just going to be cool with that. Um, the problem with that is that you can't virtue signal to the source of all virtue. Like God is the source and the, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega and, and from him flows all goodness, justice, truth, love. And so you don't get to virtue signal to God about what is good or right or holy. Um, he is holy. He in himself and his being is perfect. And so uh, you, you know, your example to the world is supposed to reflect him, not to reflect your version or your interpretation of what that would look like today in 2020. And this is just a really hard time that maybe God didn't see coming. And so the Bible doesn't really address it, right? Like that's kind of what Christians are saying is like, there's just too much here for me to be obedient to what the scripture says. There's just too much. And, and, and it's really just a matter of disobedience. I think at the end of the day, and I'm certainly not saying they're not Christians, but I am saying they're wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's like a whole other, probably deep dive into the what the scripture says on this, but it's like, we know that, for example, like John the Baptist wept in his mother's, leapt in his mother's womb when he, you know, encountered Jesus Christ in the womb. And there's a very clear scripture regarding the womb, regarding, you know, I formed you, I created you in your mother's womb. Um, So in any case, I'm not going to, you know, dive into the entire uh, scriptural backing, but it's absolutely there. And also just the backing that 
we have a purpose on this earth. We are not things to be thrown away. We are not just these material um, beings, and in, in, so to speak. We have um, a life purpose. We have a soul. And I think that um, yeah. when many people who kind of want to say you don't have a soul, that's also kind of the way of saying you're not a person. You might be mm-hmm. physically human, but you are not in an a person with these kind of intrinsic rights. I think that's kind of their way of just kind of saying, well, you don't have a soul. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very sad because even when we look at kind of what happens to children who are, who are lost in miscarriage, all these things, I mean, this, that was a person. And even when you have a, let's say a stillbirth where it's very tragic, they actually name the child, the doctor measures the child, the child is buried. That is, uh, there's a whole legal and medical procedure to how it's treated. But if that child that comes out dead with, from an abortion, then it's like, oh no, this was a cluster of cells. This was nothing. You know, it's treated completely differently. And the reality is that there's no difference between these no. two beings. And anyone who's being intellectually honest knows that. I mean, we just have to we just have to recognize that there's this is a spiritual battle, and those who deny it are in in darkness. And that's we know that that's the case. But there's there's a whole lot of people who are kind of caught in the misinformation and disinformation campaign, like you were talking about, um, who who maybe don't know, you know, who haven't seen those photos. Uh, I'm I'm speaking to those who are you know really the extreme activists on the pro-abortion side they all know exactly what it is. It's, there's no question. Um, I just have to believe that because God gave everyone and built in uh, a a conscience with his moral law written upon it. So we know that that's true. Um, which is why anyone would say, you know, if I said, okay, well, if it's my rights to murder, whoever is in my way, well, is it my right to murder you? Well, no. Well, why not? Because we know that killing is wrong. We know that killing the Imago Dei is, um, is against God's moral law. Um, so I want to ask you a couple more questions. Uh, what are your thoughts on the term pro all life? Because uh, this is something that's kind of popped up in response to being pro life. And I think this is another uh, segment of the Christian voter, you know, group that would say, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me too. I'm pro all life. I am not just for the unborn, but I'm for the mother, you know, womb to tomb. And this is what we hear people saying. Um, what are your impressions of, of that term and what is really meant by that? Hmm, yeah, I'd probably say it's a little bit more complex, um, just in the sense that I actually talk about this in my chapter on rape, where I talk about how um, it's very ironic that the left off argues in favor of you know lighter sentences on rapists. They don't want the death penalty for rapists, but they want the death penalty for the child. And I think if we look at these things where we have serial rapists and so on, I would say that that person absolutely deserves the death penalty as opposed to this innocent child who had absolutely nothing to do with this. We don't yeah. choose how we come into this world. And so um, I think that when we actually look at it and when I've talked to women who've been through that situation, they absolutely want this rapist off the street, you know, whether it's life in prison or whatever. And so um, I think when we start talking about, you know, what about the death penalty? What about that? There is, of course, also this push from the left for euthanasia. And I think that that is quite different because uh, euthanasia is, is um, it's kind of utilitarian and I want to say apocalyptic because it's mm-hmm. like, you're basically saying, oh, you're an old person here. I'm going to give you this poison. So mm-hmm. I would say that that is definitely a problem. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily say it's the same as abortion just because we are talking about perhaps someone who's a consenting adult and all of these other factors that come into it. And so I am not going to dive too much into that, but I just think it comes from this general culture we live in, which is a culture of death. And it's not a culture of life. It's not a culture that says, Hey, you know, you have a purpose in being born. There's a day that you're going to die and so on. Um, I would be probably in favor of more palliative care where um, people can kind of not be suffering, but I would not, you know, take, take another human being's life. But I think going back to the death penalty issue, I would say that there's just absolutely no comparison to be made between someone who is a serial killer, a serial rapist, and someone who's an innocent baby. There's just completely no comparison there. And I think when people try to make that comparison, they're kind of trying to say, oh, ha ha, I gotcha, Danielle. How come you would say that this, you know, rapist should, should be on death row or whatever. And, um, 
So I don't really actually think the comparison makes a lot of sense, but Mm -hmm. I do think in general, we should be for a culture of life, of course. Um, But I just think that there are very um, horrific, Mm -hmm. maybe things that should be looked into with DNA evidence and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's kind of a false, it's a, it's a straw man. It's a false argument really to say, um, well, we're pro all life as though to be pro-life is only to be for the life of the baby. Um, it's creating this this idea and this argument that you can o- you have to pick you you're either if you're pro life you only care about the baby you only care about the unborn but you don't care about the single mother you don't care about um, you know these people are the same ones saying there's black men dying in our streets every day you don't care about them you only care about the unborn when I would say well, no that's actually that's not the case and if you look at the fact that there are I think. Uh, was it you or Christine shared there was four or five times as many pregnancy uh, centers as there are abortion clinics, um, you know, crisis pregnancy centers. Um, and the, the fact that these places offer care and support for the mother and the baby often through two years old and then beyond get them connected with other resources. They'll help them apply for Medicaid. They will um, give them parenting training classes Uh, food pantry, clothing resources, I mean, support groups, which is often really the biggest missing ingredient for these moms that choose abortion is, um, yes, the stigma of maybe having a baby um, before they're ready or if they are young and and it was not an intended pregnancy, but also just the fact that they're like, I can't do this by myself. Like I I have no resources. Like I was struggling before. How How am I supposed to take care of a baby? Um, and these places offer so much more than simply um, trying to incentivize or or tell someone that they shouldn't get an abortion. It is because they care for the whole person and um, and the baby as well as the mother. And I think you see that. And I've worked and volunteered with these places. And it's like, these are good people that love, they love the mother of this child. And they they take her in as their own daughter in many cases. And so it's just a lack of, I mean, it's it's truly ignorance that would cause someone to say something like that, um, that, you know, pro-life only cares about the baby getting born. But then once that would just kind of drop them and just be like, well, now you're just, now you're a problem for us to solve. And we don't care about that because we don't care about, you know, any social justice issues, which is not true because the foundation of social justice is like I said before, being born, (laughs) like you can't have social justice issues if you're not alive. Right. And I'd also add too that Planned Parenthood does absolutely nothing for women after the abortion. They don't say, Hey, you decided to have your child. Let me help you. Let me do these things. They offer no resources for that. They don't even offer mammograms. So it's like this whole idea that, Oh, you know, how come you guys don't care for the child till it's 18? Well, we literally do so many things, as you mentioned with crisis pregnancy centers, but the other side, I mean, they're not doing anything. And even when we look too at these crisis pregnancy centers, I actually had a person ask me this. They said, how come I can't vote for Biden and Harris, but donate donate to a crisis pregnancy center? And I said, that is completely counterproductive because the Biden-Harris ticket, they basically want to shut down crisis pregnancy centers by this. They want to say, hey, your crisis pregnancy center, well, you cannot actually get um, get people to be able to use their Medicare or Medicaid unless you advertise for abortions, mm-hmm. unless you also offer that you cannot use federally funded health insurance. Mm-hmm. And so they basically use these ways to shut them down and come mm-hmm. after them. So all those people who are putting their life on the line for this, they raise the money for this, you know, private charities, all of this, mm-hmm. they're going to be really in a chokehold depending on what happens with politics. And of course, I think we should absolutely empower these people. We should empower people to help others. That's, you know, a huge factor in this, as you mentioned, um, but there will be government effects to what happens to these pregnancy centers. And um, yeah, so. Yeah, that's really helpful to to understand. And, and that's a that's a perfect argument back is like, yeah, it's completely self self uh, or, or counterproductive. It, it does not it cancels out, you know, um, and, and actually more than cancels out. Um, you're doing a lot more harm than good by voting for policies that literally want to exterminate these places. Um, and so it's like, you're throwing your money into a black pit. Free to vote. So yeah, you can do something that's worth a ton, but it costs you nothing. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, with the time we have left, I just want to, uh, kind of ask you about a couple of the myths, um, we might only have time for one uh, that you talk about in your book and you go through a ton of them. Is it like 2015? I mean, there's a lot in there. Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the most 
Well, actually, I have I had an idea of one, but which one would you say you hear the most? Which myth that you cover in the book do you are you encountering the most in your work? Hmm. Well, I think the one we hear the most often from the left is um, my body, my choice. Mm-hmm. I would say, though, what I hear most from people that I actually talk to, probably um, something maybe more along the lines of, is this person better off dead? Something like mm-hmm. that, um, which is sad. I would say with the my body, my choice argument that the left likes to put out in a lot of their signs and a lot of their paraphernalia is it is not your body that you're referring to. You're saying that you want to do this to this body, but we are targeting another body during this procedure, physically targeting this other body, whether it's through the suction, through the DNC, whatever it is, we are targeting a different body. And when it, when, when you come out of this abortion procedure, you're walking around, you're going back to life later and so on, but where's the child's body parts? They're going to be in a trash can or back at the clinic somewhere. So we're not talking about this person's body. We're talking about another person's body. And I think that as far as choice, I'm in favor of choice when it comes to almost everything. I feel like people should have the freedom to school choice, to, you know, go wherever they want to go, to, you know, make a lot of life choices. But I would say when it comes to taking another human being's life, your choice has to end when it reaches another person. Mm. And um, that should not be a choice. But I think when it comes to the idea that this person's better off dead, I would say that no matter who you talk to, whether it's someone who grew up in a poor home, they grew up in a bad neighborhood, maybe they grew up um, as a person with Down syndrome and so on, if you ask them if they're better off dead or if you started going out with your gun killing all these people, that would be horrific. And they would not want to die if you asked them if they wanted to be dead. I have yet to meet someone who has something like that and says, I wish that I was dead. And I think that ironically, um, they kind of use that argument, I think, to make it feel, make them feel better or make it seem like, oh, I'm doing this person a favor. I'm actually helping them and all of this. But the reality is that you're kind of using that rationalization to make yourself feel better and then advocate for something that is not actually helping that person. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Uh, the other one that I was going to ask you about was, um, abortion as abortion is healthcare. That's the one I feel like I'm seeing a lot. Um, maybe that's just more from like celebrities and stuff, but, uh, is that one that you're encountering, um, in your work a lot? Yeah, I definitely do. And I think that messaging is just, it's the complete opposite. I have yet to see a healthcare that intentionally kills someone or intentionally dismembers them. So this idea that it's healthcare really doesn't make any sense. And of course, then they shift to, well, it's maybe the woman's healthcare. And I would say, okay, well, I completely can see how there could be complications, but there's never a reason for an abortion. There is potentially a reason for an early delivery. So you deliver the child and then administer healthcare to the child, administer healthcare to the mother. If there is a tragedy and the child doesn't live and so on, then you know, you did all the healthcare that you could, but I would say there's no reason in the womb to target the child, kill it. Either way, you have to take it out of the womb. Either way, there's going to be a delivery. So either you're delivering a dead child or you're delivering an alive child. And so I think that we should strive for life in these situations um, for the mother and the child. Yeah, I agree. A hundred and ten percent. Man, Danielle, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I think um, I, I hope and pray this conversation is going to kind of open people's eyes to the reality of what abortion is and um, just the tragedy that it is that we live in a nation that in, endorses and and uh, and and celebrates it. Like you said, I mean, we we live in a culture of death, and spiritually, we understand why that would be. But when it when it's starting to permeate those of us who would actually claim to be Christians and claim to know Christ. Um, and when that culture of death is starting to seep in through the cracks in the walls, you know, of our apologetic and our faith and our understanding, I think we really have to take stock of what is going on and, and are we allowing the spiritual reality of this battle to kind of sneak attack in and have, um, have this effect that is going to, um, to really weaken our own faith individually and corporately as, um, the body of Christ. So I, I appreciate everything you're doing in your book. I would really encourage people to get your book. I'm sure it's available wherever books are sold and it's called The Choice. Um, Where can people find you online? 
I'm Danielle D'Souza Gill on all platforms, and you can find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor, all the spots. And it's the choice, the abortion divide in America. So hope you guys can check it out. Thank you so much, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope and pray that this conversation was edifying and encouraging to you and that it helped clarify some of the reasoning of those who would self-identify as pro-life on why this issue is so different from every other issue that we are determining as American citizens with our vote in this election. And for those listening who already um, are convinced of uh, the the value and dignity of the unborn life, I want to encourage you to share this episode with a friend. Perhaps it's a, a friend that is a Christian who has indicated to you in some way that they will not be voting pro-life in this election uh, because they believe that the Republican Party is not pro-all life or uh, for, for any number of reasons have decided um, to vote a different way. Of course, that is their right as an American. That is their their free right and, and capacity to make that choice. But I would encourage you to share this episode with anyone who you think it may have an effect on hearing some of the perspective of uh, that Danielle brings to the table with her expertise on this topic. Um, I just think it is so crucial that we continue to speak the truth into this conversation, even though uh, we can feel that it might not make a difference. There are people every day that God is using our faithful gardening work to actually um, to actually change hearts and minds, to open uh, spiritually blinded eyes to the reality of what is happening and, and to stop the proliferation of this culture of death that we find ourselves in. So um, I know it's hard and scary, but if you would share this with someone uh, today. Finally, I just want to say, Regardless of this election outcome, we know who is on the throne. King Jesus is reigning eternally on the throne, and he has a solution for the culture of death that we find ourselves in. He has a solution for the death that has permeated every fiber of this world and this universe that he created in in his goodness and in his um, wisdom. He's getting rid of it. Christ came to earth and died so that we could have eternal life. He lived the life we couldn't. He died the death we should have. And he rose again, defeating death, conquering the grave, so that we could be made right with a perfect and holy God who we were living at enmity with. And if that's you, that invitation is for you as well. That's the gospel. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about going to church on Sunday. It's not about cleaning yourself up and getting your life together and being better so you can be accepted into the family of God. Hear me say there is nothing you can do to make yourself right. There is nothing you can do to clean yourself up. It is only through the blood of Christ that you can be accepted. And with that applied to your account, you can boldly approach the throne of grace and find healing, hope, and freedom in Jesus. I also want to say if you are someone who is an abortion wounded woman listening to this conversation, I want to say there is healing and forgiveness because of Jesus. There is healing available to you. You do not have to live in shame and guilt. You do not have to carry that around. It does not have to be your silent burden to bear. There's an amazing ministry called If Not For Grace Ministries that I've worked with and I can personally tell you they are the most loving people and they're incredible. Their program and curriculum is amazing. So check them out at infg.org and take your first step towards healing. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll see you next week. All right, bye.